0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now from Salt River Fields in Scottsdale, Arizona, we have MLB.com's Jim Callis. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm gonna we're here. We're here at the crown jewel of the AFL ballparks. So.
0: Yeah, so so I'm here with Jim because obviously there are I don't know maybe nobody in the world who knows prospects better. And we're here at the Arizona Fall League where we're checking out some of the guys the Yankees have who, I, I don't know, if, you know, I've just been here a couple of days already. I'm excited to see. Jim, you've been here a little bit longer. How's the fall been going for you so far?
1: It's been good. You know, I've been here, I think this is, <laughs> so we'll go draw, It's blending together a little bit. I think this is my 11th day in Arizona. So I'm not complaining. It's like my, it's really, I mean, outside I've seen a couple Games as they were at the draft combine. The first time I've seen live baseball in person since the pandemic started, which is crazy, but it's just the reality of it. We we didn't travel as much this year, so I'm loving it. I mean, I think offense is definitely up this year. Uh, You know, the hitters are always ahead of the pitchers here, just because in general you're not going to send pitchers here who who got their full complement of innings, whereas hitters, you know, you're not going to overload them with too many at bats. And I feel like the hitting is even, I think, more ahead of the pitching than usual. So, like, the scoring's been up. We've had uh – so some long games, uh, some high-scoring games, but it, it's great to watch a lot of top prospects in action.
0: For sure. So Jim and I are going to talk a little bit about what we're seeing from the Yankees prospects right now, and then in our second segment today, we have something really special. We have a Yankees Magazine podcast listener who, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna share some of his memories of the Bronx Zoo Yankees. So definitely stick around for that. But Jim, obviously, we're sitting here, we're staring at the mountains, we're staring at a very blue sky. Yankees fans back home, I, I can't recommend enough getting down to Arizona because it is better right now.
1: No, I, I tell people this all time john i think I maybe even mentioned it to you yesterday my two favorite events that are very accessible and they're very accessible for fans everybody should go is college world series in arizona fall league and college world series i mean you're seeing teams play for the national championship you're seeing a lot of future big leaguers the guys are playing really hard omaha is a great city it's easy to get tickets if you like steak that's an added bonus there's great stakes in omaha and, and i just love the city they do a wonderful job with the event and then with the fall league i, I always kind of compared to spring training and to me It's got all the best parts of spring training and not really the worst parts. Like, if you come out here, you're not going to be paying $50 for a spring training ticket. You're not going to be fighting parking. You're going to have the run of the ballparks to yourself pretty much. Like, there'll be, you know, on a good day, there'll be a 1,000-plus fans at a fall league game. But, like, there's not long lines at the concessions or the bathrooms. You can sit wherever you want. Can't interact with the players as much this year because of the pandemic. But you, in a normal year, you can really interact with players a lot more. Just everything's much more accessible. And... I mean, more so even than in a spring training game, you're going to see more true prospects on the field than you might you – know, you might see some AAA guys who are hanging on. And I don't think they have an exact count anymore, but this is the 29th year of the league. And they've sent more than 3,000 players to the big leagues, including all kinds of reward winners. Derek Jeter played here. There's, there's, I think, three Hall of Famers now. There's been managers, umpires. Like, it, it's unbelievable. And I think the figure is roughly 70% of the players here will wind up playing in the big leagues based on the past. So if you come here, you know, as you've seen, John, you know this. The lineups are pretty static. Like, like the lineup for that day, you know, and the teams, all the playing time is kind of scheduled. So the lineups are not going to be pinch hitting or doing matchups. But so on a typical day, you're going to see your nine hitters in the lineup, probably, you know, five pitchers for each team. And on a typical day, you're probably seeing 20
0: future big leaguers when all is said and done. So it's it's pretty cool. For sure. I remember the first time I came out to the fall league, I think it was 2016. But j- just to give a sense, the the guys who I saw – yeah, I think it was the Yankees that year were part of the Scottsdale Scorpions, but it was Gleber Torres. It was Miguel Andujar. It was James Caprillian, who – not a Yankee anymore, but obviously doing nicely. Uh, Greg Bird, who we had high hopes for. That was actually the next year. But my point being, it's a remarkable place to see, as you said, the future talent. And you, you know, you mentioned the best parts of spring training without the worst parts it's Thunderdome here. Like, I mean, again, this year, it's a little harder with the pandemic, but I mean, I think if you're a fan and you decide you wanted to be the third base ump, I'm not sure anyone would stop you at any given time. But also the one other thing I would add there is you don't pay the hotel prices that you do at spring training, which is, that's the hardest part I think about visiting spring training is especially in the cactus league, but also certainly around Tampa for the Yankees fans, you know, it's hard to get to hotels because people want to go down there. Well here, I mean, you, you have the lay of the land.
1: But plus the weather is tremendous this time of year. It's been in the 80s pretty much the whole time I've been here. They're like two or three times a week. They'll have day games and night games. So you can take in two games if you want. And the farthest drive is like 45 minutes from one park to another. So that's easy enough to do. You mentioned Greg Bird. He was MVP down here. I think Gleyber Torres was as well. I still vividly remember after the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, I was out at Mesa um, and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer came in. It was like a couple of days after the series, and I, and I was talking to Jed Hoyer, you know, congratulating him. I'm, I'm based out of Chicago. I didn't grow up there, but like Yankees fans can't imagine what it was like to go 108 years without winning a World Series. So, like, I was congratulating him and just how cool it is, and it was funny. So so after we were talking about that for a while, Jed looked at me, and he's like, who's the best player down here? And I just laughed. I said, well, it's not even close. It's Gleyber Torres. And, uh, and Jed laughed too, and we were talking about how if they don't win the World Series, they probably get beaten up for making that trade. But because they won, and they wouldn't have won without Aroldas Chapman, even though he gave up a game tying home run, but he yeah. came back and pitched a ninth somehow on guts, and, and they won in the tenth, and he had a lot of big games in the postseason. And it was the final piece of their bullpen. But we were both laughing about how the fact, like, because they won the World Series, it wouldn't matter if Glaber Torres became better than Derek Jeter. It still wouldn't matter. People be like, we won the World Series in 2016. But if they had lost, they would have been second guessed. But man, Glaber. I think hit 420-something, it seemed like. He, he looked unbelievable. He might yeah, have been the youngest player
0: in the league that year.
1: Yeah, you know, and, I, and I, like I said, I've seen Judge down here. I've seen
0: Sanchez was really good down here. Probably forgetting some guys. It is like, the easiest place to see you know, baseball's future. Obviously, look, you know, going to a minor league game is great. But on that team, you're seeing – you know if you're, if you're at a double-A game, you're seeing three, maybe four major leaguers. You know, we're looking here, these rosters – Almost everyone here has major league prospects, so it's pretty special. Obviously, in particular, I'm here and our listeners, I imagine, here to talk mostly about the seven Yankees or eight if you count the taxi squad. But, you know, Jim, obviously, last night we are – sorry, not last night. Yesterday, we were together in Peoria watching the Yankees prospect play, and we saw Clay Aguiar on the mound to start things off. Uh, what, what What did you like about what you saw from Clay?
1: I'd say it's a polish over stuff guy. You know, like you know, I don't know that he's really got a, a above average, true big league pitch. But he generally throws strikes. Um, he's done that down here. He's not a guy who's necessarily going to miss a ton of bats. You know, I think if you're projecting him out, probably more of a middle middle reliever. He had he had a little bit of a tough time yesterday, and it wasn't all his fault. I mean, we talked about and this son the sun was unbelievable, and and we'll talk about I'm sure Elijah Dunham in a minute, but like Elijah Dunham, I think lost. Three balls in the sun, and to his credit, he kept playing hard. But like we knew it was a he bad a diving day. catch later. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say we knew it was a bad day for the sun, and I think I was telling you early that the sun—I don't know why this year—but the sun has, or not the sun, but the lack of clouds, maybe the sky has been more difficult this year than I can ever remember. Because I've seen things like that—not necessarily one guy losing three balls, but guys really struggling. But we knew it was going to be problematic early. Where I can't remember if it was the first inning, and a guy hit a ball to the left center field gap, and we were both watching Dunham, and Dunham put his hands up like, I don't know where this is, and then the center fielder caught it, and he was like 20 feet
0: away. And we're like, yeah, this is going to be a rough day. So I was talking to Elijah uh, during batting practice, and he said he's never seen anything like this and he said it's not even just the brightness he said the sun is bigger somehow and huh. I don't know if it's just like a weird thing happening this year because like you said you mentioned it before the game yeah that there were sun issues this year he said he had never seen anything quite like that and there was you know that you train obviously if you're an outfielder you train on how to get the ball out of the sun and, and it's part of what you do and he said it was just so big yesterday that he literally it would it would stay in the sun the entire time for, yeah no it was it was I
1: felt bad for him but like I said he battled you know you mentioned he mentioned the dive and catch but yeah it was it was crazy yesterday so yeah i mean that kind of worked against aguiar yesterday is that you know there were three balls hit and i think two of them went for doubles and and one was called an error because it, it hit dunham in the gloves so.
0: and, and dunham actually said again talking to him beforehand he said he was so relieved when he got called for the error because at least then it was on his card and, yeah and not uh clay's card he's like the worst thing of all is it's my pitcher yeah it's his own guy too. well
1: anyway, you know, it was funny because it was it was like yankees reunion day yesterday cuz we saw Rowanzi contreras and 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 Canaan smith najigba and,
0: and what's oh and ezekiel duran it was like there were former yankees all over the place too for sure so you know moving through all this stuff obviously you know we talked about uh, and, and no knock on him. And he obviously was accountable for it. But we talked about the struggles Dunham had yesterday. But also he's his bat has just been a revelation thus far in, in the league. And, you know, I, I, both just in terms of the content he's making, but also his eye has been really an impressive part.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's been one of the more impressive hitters down here. I talked to him Saturday, I think. Um, maybe it was Friday. In any case, I saw him. I mean, he's, he's played well. Incredibly, he's got, I think, 12 walks and two strikeouts down here. And it was interesting because he said – in the second game, I think it was the second game he played this year, Cray Finfrock, Finn, whose name I cannot say quickly, Finfrock, of uh, the Blue Jays like struck him out. And he said he just felt really overmatched. Like he just was having trouble like making swing decisions. And uh, it was interesting. So he was talking to Justin Foskey of the Rangers, former first round pick, just about some of the hitting stuff they'd, they'd worked on. And he said something just clicked, like talking to Foscue – like it it just hit him that instead of like having to try to like figure, adjust your timing to match the pitchers, you just like, I'm doing a terrible job of relaying, oh, I just quit here. You you need to get your own timing down and not worry about the pitcher. And for him, he realized that he needed to just slow down and go slower with his load. And that was the key. And he said, since he's done that, it's like really opened a lot of things for him vision wise. He's seen the ball a lot better, which again, I mean, look, everybody's hitting for big numbers. I don't think there's anybody down here who's got 12 walks and two strikeouts. So really impressive, and and, and I like him. I think I was telling you yesterday, like I, I think he's one of the better sleeper prospects in the system. Um, the way we do the draft, Jonathan Mayo and I split the country in half for MLB.com. So I had Indiana, so I knew who he was. I, th- I mean, he was definitely a, a six to ten round guy who might
0: have gone in the fifth round had you know things worked out there, fourth or fifth. And obviously, round. just to, to interrupt you here, obviously yeah. the 2020 draft it only ended up being five rounds, and that's why a guy who was regularly a prospect to you would have certainly been drafted yeah um, exactly he, he would have
1: definitely gone six to ten and, and he thought he was going to go like fourth fifth and he didn't and um but anyway i mean he he's legit i mean he's got a good swing he's got a good approach he's got strength he's got bad speed you know he's not you know, like a plus runner or anything but he's athletic enough they can he's play still good from, running out here yeah, yeah. you know he, he's still in bases i think it's a little bit more in savvy than than pure speed but he has good good know-how and aggressiveness on the bases and Um, You know, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be like the everyday left fielder for the Yankees in two years. But I'll bet you Elijah Dunham plays in the big
0: leagues. He can hit. And I think right now on the MLB.com list, if I'm not mistaken, he's at 24 on the Yankees list. So I mean, look, he, he, that that's a prospect with some room to rise for sure. Uh, you know, mo- moving down through there, I think the most exciting prospect here for the Yankees just in terms of the pedigree he comes with is Austin Wells. Um, I, you know, I, I flew out here looking to see him play and it turns out he's good, missing the games that I'm here for. So that's a bummer. But I'm going to have to imagine what it looks like. You, however, have gotten to see Austin. I will tell you. For as much as I am excited to see him eventually play because of what I've heard and what I've seen in video, every single person I've spoken to about Austin, it's as though the talent is just like not even a factor because the attitude is so good. And obviously, when you when you combine that with the fact that he does appear to be remarkably talented, we're talking about the Yankees 2020 first round pick. It seems like a, a pretty good package that he's built, developing right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a
1: really good package. I mean, I, I thought he was a little... I mean, he won the first round, so it's going to sound funny. But I thought he was a little underrated in last year's draft because – I mean, look, the, the best guy in the draft was Spencer Torkelson, no doubt. His rival Arizona State, Wells, was at Arizona. But I think you could have made a case if – you, if you're talking about all-around hitter, you know, pure hitting ability, power, ability to control the strike zone, he was right up there with just about anybody else in the draft. Now, there were position questions, and there still are. And, and I've been out here – I only saw him play once. I, I didn't see surprise play a lot my first few days out here. And I thought I saw him play once, and I have to go look. I'm not sure I saw him catch. Maybe I did, but he might have DH that day. It's it's tough on the catchers out here because they generally catch twice a week. Each team has three or four catchers, so you don't get to see a lot of guys behind the plate. And and that's the biggest question I think with Austin is that you know he's you know, going back to high school. He's had off and on shoulder issues at times. You know the throwing's fringy, the receiving's fringy. It's not a work ethic thing. Like it, it, it's it's you know he he's willing to work at it. I mean I look I've covered this stuff for a long time, and you get guys who don't want to work. I mean, you, you can't be a catcher unless you buy in completely. And there have been guys who just haven't bought in, and it's not going to work. And that's not the case with him. Like, if it were me, and I, I'm like this with every offensive catcher. I was like this with Shorber before he got hurt and wanted to becoming a full-time outfielder. I'm like this with Tyler Soderstrom, who's in the, uh, in the A system, who was a first-round pick in the same draft as as Wells. Me, personally, I, I love the bat so much. I want the bat. And, like, if you catch, yes, you're playing a more valuable position, but you're playing less because you're not going to be playing as much as if you played another position. And you're not going to be as productive offensively because you're going to be beating up, get beat up. So, if it were me, I would probably put Austin Wells in the outfield and just let him rake. But, I mean, I, again, I understand what the Yankees are doing. And that's why most teams, let's let's see if he can catch. And then you, we can make that decision. We can always move. As he gets close. I mean, he's not going to be big league ready next year, although. I will say <laughs> if – it's not like they necessarily need outfielders right now too. I think he could be ready to hit in the big leagues even as early as late next year if if, if he was just hitting. But you know, it's going to take longer to develop as a catcher. So I mean I think you – the plan and it's probably smart is you develop him as a catcher next year, see how that goes, and see where you are at the end of the year. See where you are at the big league club. Where do we need outfield-wise? What do we need catcher-wise? How close is the bat? And then you can make a decision for 2023.
0: I mean he's so athletic uh, that it does seem like that – I'm not to suggest that just anyone can mm. run out there in outfield and it's easier or anything like that, but it does seem everyone says that they're confident in his ability to play the outfield. But I think that it seems like they're on the same page as you are, which is let's see how far we can take this. But if we need him to move when we need him to move, that that's always there. So obviously I think, and I don't want to speak for Brian Cashman here or anyone when I say this, you know, we mentioned some of the top, top prospects that we've seen at the Arizona Fall League for the Yankees in years past. I think that we're still seeing the after effects of no minor league season in 2020 because we're seeing a lot more low A, high A players here than double A, triple A players this year. So we don't have the most of those, you know, top 30 Yankees prospects here. But obviously, you know, just from the, if you look at those some of those other pitchers, the Harold Cortillo, the Zach Green, the Tanner Myatt, you know, these these aren't necessarily Household names yet for Yankees fans looking at prospects, but as far as the package as a whole of what the Yankees are showing out here, what do you think fans can take from some of these performances?
1: Yeah, and you know, like I was saying before, like you generally don't send your top pitchers out here. In fact, there are only three pitchers on the top 100 prospects list, our, our top 100 prospects list, who came out to the fall league, and two of them gone home already. Yeah, you know, so, so generally, what you see with pitchers is you see a lot of relievers because, because you know, as, you, as you've noticed when you and you've been here before. Generally the starters will start the season out here going three innings at first start and they'll work up to five or six. But you'll get like a second guy'll pitch couple, you know, multiple innings, and then it's like reliever, reliever, reliever. You generally see it seems like five pitchers a game, the last three guys work an inning barring offensive hijinks or or, or as I like to call it a World Series game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's definitely all scripted. But um but yes, yeah, so you, you see guys who are maybe, you know, relievers or guys who might be, you know, fighting for a 40-man spot. I, I think the best of their pitchers. Down here is probably Zach Green. Yeah. You know, he's a pure reliever. He was an eighth-round pick in 2019 out of South Alabama. Um, and he's you know,
0: the only player that Yankees sent above high A this year. He was a double-A player. So, I mean, that, that's Oh, a- I didn't even notice.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, anyway, but he's got really good life to his fastball. It's more life than, like, sheer velocity. It's usually low 9. I mean, he's not a soft tosser, but it's not like he's throwing 98. Um, and he's got a pretty good slider, too. So, I, I think he's – if I had to bet of, of which of these five pitchers who are here is most likely to make a contribution to the Yankees or make the biggest contribution, it, it would be him. You know, We mentioned Aguiar. You know, Cortillo is a guy who was on our um, top 30 a couple years ago, and he's, he's been hurt. Um, you know, he's, he's down to 88, 90. I, I haven't seen the radar go. I haven't seen him pitch out here. He was down to 88, 90 during the season. He still has a pretty good change up. The hardest thrower is probably Tanner Myatt, who is also on our top 31 point. He's had some shoulder injuries, but at his best, he's up to 98 with good life on his fastball and can flash a pretty good slider. You know, know, we talked about Dunham being a non-drafted guy. You know, Aguiar was a non-drafted free agent last year when we only had the five-round draft, and so was uh, Blaine Abeta, um, who's 90-94 with a decent slider. Um, you know, he was another one of those guys that they, they signed for twenty thousand dollars after the five round draft. But like I, we, I saw, you know, Andres Chapparo w- w- was literally the
0: first time I saw him in those games. And he crushed the ball that hit the top of the wall. Though. Yeah, he I, I did. thought for sure off the bat that was gone. You
1: know, good right-handed power on him, corner infielder. Um, and then the pitchers, like I'm running around shooting video and trying to write a game story, leaning. So I don't always bear down on the relievers who are coming in late. And like I said, I, I remember I know I saw Zach Green for an inning. And I maybe saw Cotillo for an inning, and I don't think I've seen – maybe I've seen a beta for an inning, but I haven't I haven't seen much of the
0: relievers yet. Well, according to Preston Claiborne, former Yankees pitcher, current uh, pitching coach in the system, and the pitching coach for the Surprise Saguaro's tomorrow, which is Thursday, which is actually a, a, the day that you're possibly listening to this, most of the Yankees pitchers are going to go, so that'll be interesting to see them. But in the meantime, obviously, look, I can't stress enough that if you want to learn more and understand more about some of the – Players in the future, whether Yankees or otherwise, you can't do any better than following Jim's uh, coverage of the Arizona Fall League or his coverage throughout the year. Certainly, as we get near June every year, there's uh, no greater resource maybe than uh, Jim Callis's Twitter account. So, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to do this today and for giving us a sense of what uh Yankees fans are either seeing out here in Arizona or missing if they're not watching it.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, it was good talking to you, John. It was good fun talking to you during yesterday's game as, as well, with no microphones. And uh, again, <laughs> a I, little I would... rehearsal for this, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I will. Uh, I, will, I don't know if you were, you were like kind of like, I didn't know, but I was on trial. You were seeing how it would work. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I can't stress enough how, how fun there is Arizona Fall League is, especially now like the World Series just ended last night. So anybody who's like, oh, gosh, you know, you know however many months until
0: baseball games, Arizona Fall League – and Dominican League, which you can catch. I I believe uh, they stream their games, which is awesome, and and there's nothing more fun than that. Jim, thanks so much. Uh, Obviously, I hope everyone will stick with us because our second segment, we have Yankees Magazine Podcast listener Joe Garrity talking about some of his memories of the Bronx Yankees. It's a great conversation, so stick with us. Hi, this is Gleyber Torres. You are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Still, John Schwartz here from Arizona, where I've been checking out some Arizona Fall League action, and we have a really special segment coming up here. We ran some promotions last year to get some people who wanted to you know get a chance to participate in the Yankees Magazine podcast, and one of our listeners, Joe Garrity, came through and and bought, I believe, as a gift for his dad. Joe, uh,
2: I'm the dad. My son, <laughs> my son, bought it for me, but he wanted me to be the one on the pod.
0: Well, th- this is great. I, I, first off, it's So always wonderful to hear from people who listen to this and we're really grateful for everyone who does. And we're always looking for ways to talk to people out there to get their experiences. We know what we think about the Yankees. We know the things we see. But it's always fun when you realize that, obviously, not only are there so many different people following along watching, but they all have thoughts, they all have things they want to say. And it's fun to be able to give give people that chance. So Joe, welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast.
2: Glad to be here.
0: The first thing I want to ask was you gave me a little bit of a bio before we started here. And there was one very specific note in there, which is that you're a Yankees fan since 1968. I'm curious, uh, was there some sort of thing that happened in 1968 that started it?
2: <laughs> it was a revelation. Well, uh, just to set the scene, my dad was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Okay, so he, he was a Met fan, but it really, you know, he wasn't as in love with the Mets as he could be. My mom was a Yankee fan. But they were both really good friends with a, a guy named Donnie McMahon. I don't know if you remember Donnie, but he was a great relief pitcher. You should Google him after because he really had a great 18-year career. And uh, my grandfather, on uh, my mother's side, had actually coached him for 18 years, you know, from when he was real little, well, up till he was 18 years old. And, uh, and my dad was really good friends with him. So anyways, he's on the Detroit Tigers that year, and they – They went to the World Series. They won the World Series that year. But when they came to Yankee Stadium, Donnie got them tickets because my dad is a Brooklyn Dodger fan. So he's not taking me to Yankee Stadium very often. But since Donnie's given him tickets and he wanted to see Donnie play, they take me to the stadium. and I see the old Yankee Stadium and it was just awesome. And it was Mickey Mantles last year. And after that, I was hooked. Even with the Miracle Mets the next year, I stuck to my guns, and I stayed a Yankee fan from that point going forward.
0: See, I, I really got to ask, though, because when I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this could mean one of two things. This could mean he was born in 1968 or that there's a fun story, and I'm glad there's a fun story.
2: <laughs> yep. yep, seven years old, so just about the time when you're, you know, formulating your, the team that you want to follow. That's perfect. Now obviously, look,
0: you're 7 years old in 1968. That means that you probably were just the right age to have a lot of fun with some of those Yankees teams in the 1970s. And obviously, I'm just so curious what memories you have that stick out from those years.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, the, you know, the early years were tough, you know, <laughs> with hard <with laughs> and Gene Michael. But, you know, I was loyal and I we had transistor radios back in the day and you know, I had to go to bed at like nine o'clock those first couple of years. I would sit there listening to the transistor radio and listening to pretty much all 162 games. When I wasn't watching it, I was listening on the radio. So I didn't care what their record was at that point. But then when uh, Mr. Steinbrenner came in, everything starts to change and and you could see them getting better pretty much right away. And It gets crazy. The Bronx Zoo, they bring in Billy Martin and so many incredible personalities on that team. The Bronx Zoo years were so fun. And, uh, you know, those were my high school years. So it was perfect. We would go down, you know, maybe uh, my senior year in high school, i made it so I had the last two periods free. So we could go down and make the Wednesday afternoon matinee games. And I'm telling you, Reggie won at least a couple of those games with big home runs. And I was a Munson guy, you know, and back in the day, you had that creative tension between Munson Munson and Jackson, but but that team was crazy. You had to appreciate all the different personalities involved.
0: To be clear here, I was born in 1981. So everything, you know, in my many years of, you know, covering baseball, covering the Yankees, uh, you know, still some of those great stories, you know, I – I have only heard them in the past, and a couple of years ago, I had the sad good fortune—I guess if you want to put it that way—of spending a lot of time going back through Thurman's life and spending time with his, his with his wife Diana before the 40th anniversary of his tragic passing. And I'm I'm curious, you know, because hearing those stories and learning about Thurman and and learning about all those guys, it was you know completely thrilling for me. One thing that struck me when I was doing that was I think to some degree, maybe unfairly in my head. Thurman was the Yankees captain who died tragically. And the more time I spent there, what was revealing to me was how much more he was than that. Uh, And and, and maybe I should have known that better. And maybe I should have understood that better. That's perfectly fair. But I think I had lost sight somewhere or just had never known just how great a player he was because in my head, he was this beloved tragic figure.
2: Well, and I think to some extent we've gotten so uh, consumed with stats, you know, and, and and I think there is a role for stats. Thurman had some good stats, but it didn't show what kind of player he is. He was so determined to win and he would do anything to win. It was all about that. And he, when he comes on the team, that really is where you start. Even before George, when you get Thurman on that team, they finally start hate losing, you know, and then you see a building and you build an, You bring in Greg Nettles, another guy, just a winner, you know, uh, Willie Randolph. And they build this core team that has a really, you know, tough mentality and determined to win, do everything you need to do to win. And Munster was that. He played hurt and, you know, uh, probably got him in trouble a couple of times because he wound up getting some throwing errors and things like that. But but he was a gutsy, hard-nosed player, and you just had to respect him. Which made it challenging when Reggie comes in and they have that conflict. But- For sure.
0: And, and, and I'm, I'm curious, like, were there, among your group of friends, were there Reggie fans and Thurman fans? Or, or was everyone just kind of like, at the end of the day, like, sure, we have our favorites, but whatever. It doesn't really matter.
2: Well, yeah. Do you want the whole truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Most <laughs> of my friends were, were Thurman people. You know, in, initially, until Reggie... You had to love Reggie because as home run hitters come and go, Reggie was the the most clutch home run hitter I have ever seen. And, and, you know, that 77 performance, I just, you know, just to get ready in the proper frame of mind for this interview, I went on and watched that. And and it just, I mean, goosebump. That just is the best World Series performance of all time. And, you know, Reggie had that ability. He did it a lot. You know, he won a lot of games with home runs, walk up homers or decisive homers late in the game. You know, even the, the famous Bucky Dent game. You know, everyone talks about Bucky Dent, Bucky Dent, Bucky Dent. Reggie hits the homer that makes the difference in that game. Nobody even talks about Reggie. You know, Gossage made that game interesting. If It's a 5-4 win. Bucky Dent makes it 3-2, you know. So Reggie was always there with the big homer. And so you had to love him. But you were definitely torn. And I still have some friends who are like, well, you know, I love Reggie's clutch, but I'm a Thurman guy.
0: You know, we talked, I I believe, either on the last episode of this podcast or the one before it, about how Babe Ruth would have fared in, you know, a a Twitterverse, in a sense, how he would have done in the 21st century. and. I don't think he would have done too well, first off. Let's be clear there. But I really wonder what a different media environment would have made out of those Bronx Zoo teams, in a sense. Because, in some ways, look, there are, it's not all negative necessarily. It's not all, you don't have to just assume that, you know, a little bit more attention makes things. More caustic, let let's say, because the fact of the matter is, it could just be that you know the narrative of them just became you know this fun and wild and and great group of guys, and maybe it would have been great for them. But there's also just you wonder, like, could some of that
2: stuff have worked under today's uh, environment? That's a good question. I you know I know they would have owned the Twitterverse, and they you know this is right before cable news, so you didn't even have ESPN. Imagine that Yankee team with you know with daily. ESPN highlights I mean, with Reggie going after Billy and, you know, and and Munson, the whole, it would have been uh, even more of a circus.
0: And I have to say, though, I think the flip side of that can be, and I mean, this this is a hyper local thing, so maybe it doesn't make sense. You know, last year, a lot of stuff came out about this place in New Jersey, Action Park. I don't know how many people, you know, remember going to Action Park or whatever, and and all of the narratives of it was like it was this crazy place, you know, kids dying, everything like that. You know, we we all went there just to be daredevils, and my memory of it was, yeah, we went there because it was fun. We didn't go there, you know, trying to kill ourselves or anything like that, or trying right. to be as dumb. We went there because it was fun. And, and there's a part of me that that wonders some of those stories, the Bronxy players. You know, if you were actually seeing the real story in real time, would the memory of it be so crazy? Or was it actually more of a more normal group of guys that occasionally had a few blowups that turned into a good book later? And then, therefore, we just assumed that every day there was just a raging circus. When in reality, most days were probably pretty boring with even the most wild of those, you know, Yankees-Bronx
2: Zoo teams. Yeah, I think to some degree you're probably right, but there were big moments. For sure. And, you know, when when Reggie goes after Billy. (laughs) That's a big moment. I I grant you. (laughs) And it's the ABC game of the week, which back in the day, you didn't have games on every night. So it was like Monday night football, and Reggie picks a national moment. And of course, Billy picked a national moment to pull him out. So the two of them kind of played into that. And the interview with Sports Illustrated, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how it played, but I'll tell you what it did do. I mean, it it may have been a circus, but New York, because you had the Giants and the Dodgers, the Mets owned the town. You had 69 73, where the Mets win the pennant both of those years. Then the Yankees turned that around with the Bronx New Teams.
0: For sure, I, I guess what I'm saying. I think that if you talk to some people there, a, a sense that every single day, Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson had like a daily scheduled fight in front of people. When in reality, yeah, of course it happened a few times. They were both they were both you know intense competitors, and they loved that part of the game. I just I'm guessing it would come off a little bit more tame now than people have created the memories of for how it was. Probably
2: that's probably true.
0: It's it's so fun. I, I obviously, like I said, I wish I could have seen it. I wish I could have been there. But it is fun to get to relive some of this stuff. When you watch uh, the 2021 Yankees, you know 2022 Yankees getting ready for that stuff. Who are the guys who you really enjoy these
2: days? I love Judge. Uh, he's he's phenomenal. You know, in work ethic and attitude and classiness, he just reminds you so much of Jeter, which is like the ultimate compliment, I think. And Stanton is so much like to me, like Reggie. So I didn't want to like him, but man, is he clutch. He is a very clutch home run hitter. And I think that's your core of the team. Obviously it
0: was such a you know devastating end to the season this year and the way it went down. But I've said, just going back to, you know, the time we've been talking about and one of the wonderful things about baseball history is that the things that happen, they just, they stay forever. And so, of course, yeah, did did every Yankees fan and Yankees player and Yankees employee, whatever, want a different ending in Boston? Sure, but is it fun to be able to get to spend two days in the lead up there talking about Bucky Dent and talking about that moment and the way that every time you're watching something like this, you could be seeing something and you're just going to remember it forever. I, I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, he's a huge Braves fan and he was at game three of the World Series and he'd never been to Truist Park. and I'm not sure he'd ever been to a World Series game. And what I was saying to him is, This is a very silly thing. This sounds like a very obvious point. But the best thing about World Series games is that there are at most seven of them a year. And you know that people are going to – talk. what you are seeing is part of what's going to be the very short part of the historical record of that season. So, you know, it it just like – again, just to go back to it, like, yeah, was that night in Boston a couple weeks ago? Was it a bummer? Yeah, but like – you know, we we got to have a lot of good memories talking about and thinking about some things, and that's just one of the special things about the the kind of history the Yankees have that you grew up watching.
2: Exactly, and the rivalry is is wonderful. I mean, the Red Sox fans hated that seventy eight game, so you know we have to take the good with the bad. You know, and uh, <laughs> that's part of the whole deal. But. One other thing about Bucky Dent I'd like to point out is Bucky Dent was the MVP of that World Series. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yes. And a lot of people, oh, the Bucky Dent homer, which was a big deal. But he went on to really have a huge World Series, and who would have thought Bucky Dent would be the MVP? And Brian Doyle was, was probably the runner-up. I mean, he had a phenomenal series. So, it, you know, you need players like that to sort of fill in. You can't all be just standing and the judge and the big home run hitters, and, and then they'll be there. Awesome. Well,
0: Joe, this has been an absolute delight. I'm really glad we got to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that anytime you have more stuff you want to chat about with the Yankees, you'll reach out.
2: I'd love it. Thanks, John. That was wonderful.
0: And to all of you, obviously, you know, I-, I think in general, we should always just say be like Joe. So, you know, if you'd like to get involved with the Yankees Magazine podcast, by all means, please email us at podcast at yankees.com. And we would love to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. Maybe we can work out a way to get you onto an upcoming episode. But in the meantime, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Yankees Magazine. You can check us out on Facebook. We have a new Facebook page there, too. So make sure you do that. We'd love for you to go to yankees.com slash magazine where you can read all of our long form content. And, of course, please subscribe to this podcast at the podcast app of your choice. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, and go Yanks! Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.